Very frustrating right now. As a coach, I feel like I've done the worst job with this team in 31 years as a head coach. Very frustrated, but as frustrated as I've ever no, the most frustrated I've ever been. The job that the head coach is doing with this team right now, we stink. Guys, I got no positive things. If you want some positive things, you better go out and find somebody on the street because I got no positive for me, no positives for my team. Guys, I've coached for 31 years. Right now, my coaching sucks. Roy Williams brutally honest after his team was thrashed last night by Michigan in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Hi, everybody. Tanner Hoops with you on the Sports Pen ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP app Thursday afternoon. Glad that you're with us in studio today. Well, Michigan hosted North Carolina last night, a battle of two top 15 teams. Michigan came in 6-0, ranked 7th. North Carolina 11th at 6-1. Who could have predicted such a lopsided affair? Michigan had a 39-35 lead going into halftime, but outscored the Tar Heels 45-32 in the second half for an 84-67 victory. So now Michigan has decisive victories over Villanova and North Carolina this season. Just maybe when people were starting to question John Beeline and if this was the beginning of the end for him, he's now won 22 of his last 23 games as Michigan basketball head coach. You heard Roy Williams and how he was asked about taking out his starters, the players that he put in toward the end of the game, because they were stinking it up. Well, he played 16 different players last night. 16 different Tar Heels took the floor in their blowout loss against Michigan last night, the Big Ten ACC Challenge. It's weird to hear a coach that's done as much as Roy Williams has say that he sucks, say that his coaching sucks. This loss isn't acceptable to him. He's not going to stand for something like that. He has proven that he's a quality winner. He's one of the best head coaches of all time, a future Hall of Famer. Wolverine fans, you can celebrate today knowing that you brought one of the greatest coaches in basketball to the point where he says his coaching sucks. You can literally hear the sadness dripping out of Roy Williams' voice. Take a listen to this. This is Todd Bowles, head coach of the New York Jets a couple of weeks ago after his team got blown out by Buffalo 41-10. Matt Barkley's return to football. Take a listen to Todd Bowles. It was a disappointing loss. It was tough. We haven't been a part of one of these in a long time. I think since Indianapolis a few years ago on the night game, and we didn't coach well in any aspect of the game. We didn't play well in any aspect of the game. So everything that could have went wrong went wrong. How do you explain that thought? You can't. You can't. You give them some credit, and we stunk it up as coaches. We stunk it up as players at the same time. We didn't play well. Todd Bowles with just everything in the world crumbling in front of him. Take another loss since then. They've lost to New England couple of touchdown deficit actually played New England better than they played Buffalo but Todd Bowles unlike Roy Williams will be fired here in a couple of months let's take a listen to each one more time let me know who sounds the saddest guys I got no positive things if you want some positive things you better go out and find somebody on the street because I got no positive for me no positives for my team Guys, I've coached for 31 years. Right now, my coaching sucks. We stunk it up as coaches. We stunk it up as players at the same time. We didn't play well. All right, so the ACC Big Ten Challenge is now completed for the 2018 season. Once again, it ends in a tie. 7-7, the two conferences split. Doesn't it always end in a tie? Will the ACC Big Ten Challenge never not end in a tie? So who picked up wins for each on the Big Ten side of things? It was Nebraska, 
Penn State, Wisconsin, Iowa, Rutgers, Northwestern, and Michigan. ACC winners were Boston College, Notre Dame, Louisville, Duke, Syracuse, Virginia, and Florida State. All right, so the UP fan base teams went 2-1. and one. Michigan State being the only loss, they fell in overtime to Louisville 82-78. to Wisconsin got a 79-75 win over North Carolina State. How about Davison taking five charges in the game? He sacrificed his body five times to take a charge. Change the face of that game in a four-point game, you bet. That can make all the difference. Michigan last night with the 84-67 victory over North Carolina. That capped it off, and maybe was the biggest surprise, not in the sense that Michigan won, but in the sense of how dominant that they did. But is it time to start accepting that Michigan could be the premier basketball team out of the Upper Peninsula teams this season? That can include Wisconsin. We've got fans up here. we got Badger fans up here, so we include them. The big three being Michigan, Sparty, and the Badgers. Is it time to accept that Michigan is the premier team out of the UP fan base? I don't know when Michigan decided that they were a power. I watched them last year in the Big Ten tournament. They should have lost to Iowa. Iowa blew that game. Iowa completely blew that game. And then Michigan gets into the tournament, gets hot, runs the table. They have not stopped. They got blown out in the championship, sure. But they have not lost that momentum that they had as they made their run to the title game last year against Villanova. Then they got revenge on Villanova. Absolutely throttled them at their place just outside of Philadelphia. Michigan looks like one of the most elite Michigan teams that we've seen in recent memory. And think back to 2013 when they went to the national title game, played Louisville. Of course, everything surrounding Rick Pitino regarding that season. But regardless, it makes you start to wonder, is this the best team John Beeline has ever coached? Is this year's Michigan squad the best team that Beeline has ever had? And He's been a lot of places in his career. He's been to Richmond. He's been to West Virginia. He's had some great teams there. But this could be the most complete team that Michigan has ever had. Maybe the free throw shooting could be a little bit of concern. Maybe Teske chucking up three-pointers, that might be of concern. But they're still winning in blowout fashion, and teams aren't really coming close to them. They have two mammoth wins, Villanova and North Carolina. Neither team was even close to winning in that game. The last two national champions got absolutely blown out by the Michigan Wolverines. And I know the past is the past, and all matters is what you've done this season, what you will do this season. But those two schools are certainly reloading and look to be contenders for another national championship this season. Two excellent head coaches in Jay Wright and Roy Williams, even though he thinks he sucks. We all know that's not true. It's got to feel really good if you're a Michigan fan and you're trying to forget Saturday's game against Ohio State. Not to bring that up, but I want to throw in this quick promo. Mike Golick, Trey Wingo, they host Golick and Wingo here on ESPN-UP and ESPN National from 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern. They are having a really, really cool contest. They want to send you and a friend, plus three other people and their friends, so eight total people, to the College Football National Championship game just over a month from now in Santa Clara, California. Four days, three nights, all expenses paid, lodging, food, round-trip airfare. Everything's covered for you. You get a tailgate with ESPN. You get to go behind the scenes. All you got to do, first of all, follow Golick and Wingo, the show's Twitter account on Twitter. Create a 30-second video showing why you should be the one 
who goes to Santa Clara, why they should pick you, a creative 30-second video. Use the hashtag, tweet it to the show, and hope for the best. Got to make it creative so that they pick you. I have a great idea. I know that if I made a 30-second video, it would be the winner. Unfortunately, as an ESPN employee, not available to do it, not eligible. But you are. You have the chance to do it. So make sure to win your trip to the College Football National Championship game this season, coming up in just over a month. Let me let Mike and Trey break it down for you, just in case I've missed anything. The Golden Wingo College Football Playoff Contest. Earn your shot to attend the 2019 College Football Playoff National Championship presented by AT&T. Tune in to Golden Wingo from now through December 5th for your chance to win. No purchase necessary. For official contest rules, go to ESPNRadio.com. Contest runs until December 5th. That is next Wednesday, a week from yesterday. So you've got that long to create a creative 30-second video and get it to Golik and Wingo. Keep in mind, the Golicks are a huge Notre Dame family. Mike Jr. started on the offensive line for the team that went to the college football championship game against Alabama in 2012. If that factors into your video, it might kill some of the Wolverine fans, but it might help you get a trip to Santa Clara and the college football national championship game. We'll take our first time out, but still to come on the sports pen, we've got head coaching news around college football, as well as the United States men's national soccer team, plus Baker Mayfield. Just did Hugh Jackson a huge favor. Hugh owes Baker big time. Got some audio for you in there side of this break that might have just saved Hugh Jackson's NFL coaching career. That's next on the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP app. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. It's a sports pen on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP app. Don't forget, Pigskin Bayday's back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize only to Jibway Casino, Barriga, and Marquette. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad that you're with us Thursday afternoon as we inch closer to the weekend. Well, some news to break down for you. The United States men's national soccer team has announced their newest head coach. They are introducing... Greg Berhalter, who is currently the head coach of the Columbus Crew of Major League Soccer. Greg Berhalter will be the next United States men's national head soccer coach. He replaces Dave Sarenshin, who they moved on from after a late loss against Italy earlier this month. And bear in mind that he was there on an interim basis. Bruce Arena was there for only about a year before him. Jurgen Klinsmann before him. Will this be the one that finally sticks for the United States men's national soccer team? Will they get a little consistency at the head coaching position? You look at the United States and what they have coming up through the younger ranks. If you follow soccer, there's a lot to feel good about. There's a lot of young talent on the American national men's soccer team. The women keep doing their thing. They're rolling. They're looking to win another World Cup. But will the men? They've got a lot of young talent coming up to supplement Christian Pulisic. But when was the last time the United States has outcoached an opponent in men's soccer. You might have to go back to when Bradley was the head coach. Certainly didn't happen last year when they had Trinidad and Tobago, a team that they had a 93% chance to beat and get into the World Cup, and they couldn't do it. Can Greg Berhalter finally be the one who brings the consistency that the United States men's national soccer team needs? A few other coaches, this time they're in college football, Jeff Brom made news yesterday. There were reports swirling that he would be leaving Purdue 
to take over as the new head football coach at his alma mater, Louisville, was coming off a 2-10 season. They fired Bobby Petrino midway through the year. Late last night, Brahm, who was meeting with Louisville officials, put out a release saying that he was staying at Purdue. It was confirmed by those in West Lafayette. It was not confirmed by those with the Louisville Athletic Department. But nonetheless, Jeff Brom is staying in Purdue, which is the right choice. I know it's his alma mater. I know he has ties there as a coach. Was formerly an offensive coordinator there, what, maybe six years ago? But he's doing the right thing staying at Purdue. For one, he's building them up from the ground up, and now they're a respectable program. They've got a good team this year. They're better than their 6-6 six and six record. Ohio State can tell you that first and foremost. They're bowl eligible. They won the old oaken bucket to get bowl eligible. To me, that move would not have made sense for Brom to go to Louisville. I know it's his alma mater and he has roots there, but you've just built something up at Purdue, something really special. You're cementing a legacy. You're 6-6 six and six at Purdue. I mean, when's the last time they've had success like this? Think back maybe to when Drew Brees was in college. They might build a statue of Jeff Brown before it's all said and done. Purdue just wants to not be embarrassed anymore. They remember the Daryl Hazel days. They want Jeff Brown there. I know there's a lot of places that want Jeff Brown, but he just built something up at Purdue. Something a lot of coaches want is to be able to show that they can win. They can rebuild a program. They can rebuild a struggling program. That's why Matt Rule left an up-and-coming Temple team to go take over the Baylor job. Because he wanted to rebuild it and prove that he can win from the ground up. Jeff Brom is doing that right now. He would have to start all over again, going back to Louisville. Purdue's paying him well. Other than that being his own mater, I don't know why he was ever considering the Louisville position. From a coaching standpoint, purely a professional standpoint, it made zero sense. And Brom ended up making the right choice staying at Purdue. So now if you're Louisville, where do you turn your attention? New reports are surfacing, as of last night, that say Scott Satterfield, head coach at Appalachian State, might be the newest target for the Cardinals. Satterfield has done a marvelous job at Appalachian State. Is there any team that flies under the radar more than Appalachian State? They joined the top 25 for the first time ever during Satterfield's tenure. Obviously, Wolverine fans remember the crushing loss of the Big House about a decade ago. They nearly did the same thing at Beaver Stadium this year against Penn State. Scott Satterfield is ready to take the next step. I don't know if he's ready, but he's got the talent to be ready. He may like where he's at over in Boone, North Carolina. But any Power 5 team would be happy to bring in a guy like that. At least any that's trying to rebuild. Any that's trying to rebuild. I think he would have made a lot of sense over at Kansas, but they're very happy with Les Miles. Les Miles and Mac Brown are college football coaches again. They are college football head coaches. Makes you feel about 10 years younger. How about a little farther down south? Paul Johnson is hanging up the whistle after 40 years as a football coach. 11 spent at Georgia Tech. Paul Johnson's hanging it up. Tough to see a guy like that go. I liked Paul Johnson a lot. He had such a weird offensive scheme. A triple option, never throw the football, but it always made life difficult for whoever had to prepare for it. And that was what Paul Johnson did well. He wasn't going to be a championship caliber coach, at least not with Georgia Tech in that offense. 
he wasn't going to be a guy who was going to contend for the national championship with that kind of a scheme, but he could be a spoiler for anybody who was. Georgia had a lot of worries about playing him a couple of weeks ago. I'll tell you this. I don't think that there is a triple option team that is capable of producing it perfectly week in and week out to the point where they can contend for a national championship. But that is the hardest offense to prepare for, in my opinion. In my professional opinion. That offense can be spoiler so many times. You ask any coach, they hate playing it. And Johnson is the triple option king. No one in college football does it better than him. He established it when he was the head coach at Navy. And he's done it at Georgia Tech. So he's stepping down after his team went 7-5 and five in the regular season this year. What does life after Paul Johnson and his triple option scheme look like for Georgia Tech? They could do a 360 and hire Cliff Kingsbury. They could go a little farther and hire Mike Leach. Will the Jackets bring in a coach with a different scheme, different offensive philosophy? Are they going to stick with the triple option guy? Navy stuck with it after Johnson left and went to Georgia Tech. They brought in Ken Niamatololo, who kept the same system. And how attractive is the Georgia Tech head coaching job? I think it's one of the most attractive in college football. I really do. It's a very weak ACC conference you get a step right into. Pitt is playing for a conference championship this weekend. That's what the strength of schedule is like in the ACC. Pitt is another team that doesn't have the capability to contend for a title. They can be a spoiler every once in a while. But a spoiler should not be in your conference championship. Although if Georgia Tech is looking for an offensive mind to hire, Hugh Jackson's coaching career got a huge boost this week from his former quarterback. Baker Mayfield on Sunday. No question how he feels about Hugh Jackson. Baker Mayfield on Sunday when Hugh Jackson, now an assistant with the Cincinnati Bengals, and Baker Mayfield, quarterback of the Cleveland Browns, met up on the football field. Baker embarrassed him. Baker embarrassed them. Cleveland wins the game 35-20, to and the game was not nearly as close as the score would indicate. It was a butt-kicking. Now, Hugh Jackson, in case you're unfamiliar for whatever reason, Hugh Jackson had been the coach of Cleveland Browns the last couple of years. He went 3-36-1 during his time as Cleveland's head football coach before being fired earlier this season. And the situation was embarrassing. Jackson didn't do well over in Cleveland. I really thought he would. I thought he got unfairly let go too early when he was in Oakland. I thought he'd be a guy that could do good things with Cleveland. Turned out not to be the case. They let Hugh Jackson go. He's not even out of work for a full week before he lands a new coaching position in the NFL. Doesn't even have to leave the state of Ohio as he takes a job as an offensive assistant with Marvin Lewis and the Browns divisional rival, the Cincinnati Bengals. Sunday after the game, after lighting up his former head coach, Baker let the world know he wasn't happy about Jackson's decision. He said, good job, good game. Yeah, that was brief. I didn't feel like talking. You or him? Me. I don't know. It left Cleveland, goes down to Cincinnati. I don't know. That's just somebody that was in our locker room asking for us to play for him and then goes to a different team. We play twice a year. Everybody can have their spin on it, but that's how I feel. Here's the thing. I'm not criticizing Baker Mayfield for how he feels. I can see where he's coming from. I may feel something similar. But once you put it out there in the media, you combine that with your history 
of saying things without much thought, people are going to overanalyze it. And maybe that's what people have been doing right here. And I should clarify, I see where Baker's coming from in the sense that you ask these guys to play for you and then you go to a divisional rival. But at the same time, you got to understand this coach won three games in a little over two years. Just got fired. What do you want him to do? You want him to sit out of the league, refuse an offer if it comes? Who's going to want a coach that's won three times in a little under three years? Who's going to want that? He gets a job offer to stay in the NFL, to get his name back onto an NFL team's roster, into their media guide. He gets that chance a week after getting fired. Embarrassingly, he embarrassingly left Cleveland. I mean, do you want him to pass it up? I mean, I get where you're coming from, Baker. But this is a situation where you probably need to sit this one out. You need to sit this one out. But I tell you who's really, really happy that Baker chose not to sit out. Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson owes Baker Mayfield a huge thank you after everything that transpired this week. Hugh was embarrassed as the football coach at Cleveland. A guy like that, you wonder if he'll ever get an NFL job again after the way things went in Cleveland, then the way that he handled the firing. Hugh tried to pass the buck. He tried to shift blame onto anybody around him. Todd Haley, even Baker Mayfield. He tried to pass the buck and make it seem like he wasn't the problem. And he clearly was a big part of it. He may not have been the entire problem, but he was a big part of it. The Browns weren't going to win with him. He handled the firing poorly. So he gets a new job as an offensive assistant coach. Heads to Cincinnati, teams up with Marvin Lewis. Plays his old team and just gets embarrassed by them. If you were following social media on Sunday, Hugh Jackson was getting roasted everywhere. Jokes like, he's finally helping the Browns win by being the coach of the other team. Hugh Jackson was just made a fool of on the internet. You cannot tell me that there were people in the Browns front office who were not sweating bullets that they brought this guy in thinking, we really brought this guy in, and this is what happens to our offense. Baker Mayfield is out playing Andy Dalton, who we've invested so much time and money in. And then after thrashing his old coach, gets into the postgame, what does Baker Mayfield do? He takes on the role of the villain. He stops Hugh Jackson from looking like the fool and takes on the role of the villain. Baker's done that before. I'm not saying Baker's wrong, especially not for how he feels. He has every right to feel the way he does. But the unintended consequences of his comments are taking the pressure off of Hugh Jackson. Because now all the pundits aren't talking about how embarrassing Hugh Jackson was as head coach of the Cleveland Browns. They're talking about how embarrassing Baker Mayfield is to himself. And Baker may not be wrong. He's been like this since he was at Oklahoma. He has got a lot of growing up to do. Ever since Oklahoma, Baker's not been afraid to say what's on his mind even if it's stupid. And that's what he did on Sunday. And unlike his firing, Hugh Jackson is handling this with grace and class. And people are almost sympathetic to him. Instead of all the media pundits talking about how Baker Mayfield embarrassed his old coach and how the Browns are better without him, how Baker Mayfield has a better completion percentage, better passer rating with a defensive-minded interim coach. Everyone's talking about how immature Baker Mayfield is. He's given Hugh Jackson new life. 
right after he embarrassed him on the field. And you're thinking, well, this will blow over. These things happen. They'll smooth it out, move on. Well, Baker decided to rehash it. Yesterday at a press conference, Baker defended and reiterated his comments made about his former head coach. You can look it up on YouTube if you want. I'll save you the trouble. I've got the audio right here. No. You know, people took it as me personally attacking you. That's, that's not it. It's the fact that I get to have my own opinion on how it transpired, and he gets to do what he wants. That's how it is. Although I'm an athlete, I'm not a cookie-cutter quarterback. Never have been, never will be. I speak my mind. That's just how I am. So I didn't like the move, and people don't have to care. I mean, I'm not looking for anybody's approval. I don't regret any of it. You know, it's about this team and what we have, and we have to stick together and play together. You just got to know when to quit. You think about if this never happened, if Baker never opened his mouth about Hugh Jackson, how differently the narrative would have looked this week. Hugh Jackson's NFL career might be over. His career as an NFL coach, what credibility would he have left? And Baker Mayfield would have been a rising star, and he still is. But now he's taken on the villain role, too. Some guys wear that well, some don't. And he's worn it since he was an Oklahoma Sooner. I certainly don't think Baker's wrong for feeling the way he is. But one way or another, expect a thank you card from Hugh Jackson coming up around Christmas. And coming up in the sports pen, a hot mic leads to hot water for a college basketball broadcaster. That's next on the sports pen on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP app. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP app. Don't forget, Pigskin Payday's back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize only to Jibboy Casino, Barriga, and Marquette. Tanner Hoops with you Thursday afternoon. Glad that you're with us. Halfway point in The Sports Pen. And we're over the halfway point in this work week. Just about there to the weekend. Well, the Iowa Hawkeyes have made news over the last couple of days, along with longtime broadcaster Gary Dolphin. You remember Gary? He's been on the sports pen with me before. He was on here my first week. That was the week of the Iowa-Wisconsin football game, which we all thought would be the Big Ten West Championship and turned out not to be for either. Gary Dolphin has made national news over the last couple of hours. Because during halftime of Tuesday night's game against Pittsburgh, he made comments that were deemed critical of the Iowa basketball program when he believed he was off the air. And for that reason, he's been suspended for the next two broadcasts. For Dolph, hot mics led to hot water. Now here's a hot take. This is one of the most ridiculous stories that has been coming out of national media that I can remember. And it could be because I know Gary Dolphin personally. Gary Dolphin's a wonderful guy. Been a great mentor to me. I've met him multiple times. Always there if I message him, ask for career advice, maybe listen to a broadcast or two of mine. He's been a great mentor to me. Growing up in Iowa, Gary Dolphin's a legend. It's his 22nd year of doing Iowa Hawkeye sports for Learfield. He was one of the 53 applicants for when the job opened up in 1996. He got it. He was one of the two finalists for the Chicago Bears job. They passed over him. They offered it to him again two years later. But he was happy with the Hawkeyes. And I may be biased because of my relationship with him, but Dolph is one of the best in the business. It's unfortunate that this had to happen. Because for those of you who've listened to the tape, it's available online. You can hear the audio transcript. 
I don't know what he said that the average fan wasn't thinking at that point in the game. The comments came at halftime. Gary Dolphin, his broadcast partner, Bobby Hansen, thought they were going into a commercial break. Instead, the board op left them potted up. They were unaware of it, and they started talking at halftime. Iowa was trailing Pitt, 46-40, to at halftime of their Big Ten ACC Challenge game. Once they got to what they believed was the commercial break, Dolphin commented on Xavier Johnson and Trey McGowans, the high-flying freshman the Panthers boast this season, and he wondered why Iowa couldn't get a guy like that. Quote, How do we not get anybody like that? It's just year after year after year. Just get one. They've got three or four. The guy's in his first year, referring to new Pitt head coach Jeff Capel. Hansen replied that Capel, being a former Duke assistant under Mike Krzyzewski, knew where to find the blue chip guys. Dolphin went on to comment about how Pitt gets blue chip freshmen and how Iowa gets, quote, Macy Daly, dribble into a double team with his head down. That was it. That's what the extent of it was. There was no profanity, no obscene language, no yelling, no angry outburst. He said something that 98% of Hawkeye fans had on the brain. Dolphin and Hanson were made aware of it. They apologized during the postgame show. Dolphin said, it's a lesson learned. We apologize for it. We'll move on and deal with it. When I first saw this story yesterday afternoon, a friend of mine at the University of Iowa shared it with me. I thought it was just clickbait. Someone was trying to make something out of nothing. I couldn't believe this turned into a national headline because after everything Gary has done, two-time Iowa Sportscaster of the Year, a legend in the Hawkeye State, national news is spreading headlines about him that right now the first thing people think when they think of Gary Dolphin or Iowa Athletics is not all the good he's done over the past few years and how he's helped young broadcasters, myself included, get where we are. Now they think that this guy is somebody who says something that he shouldn't and gives way to a hot mic. That's what people are thinking about of Gary Dolphin right now, and I can't imagine what it's like for him at home in Dubuque, Iowa right now, having to look at these national headlines and see that that's what people are remembering of him. He apologized, particularly for the comments made about the guard, Daly. Why wasn't that the end of it? Why was a two-game suspension necessary for that? No profanity. Nothing more than being upset that Iowa can't bring in blue-chip recruits like other schools can, or that a kid dribbles into a double team, doesn't look where he's going. Is that not what 98% of fans are saying to themselves right now anyway? I mean, who exactly is offended by this? Macy Daly? I mean, yeah, you don't like to hear that about you, but accept the apology and move on. If you're going to be a college basketball player, maybe professional, if you're going to think of anything like that, you're going to have to have some thick skin. Look what's happening to Kevin Durant. Some of the most thin skin in sports, doesn't matter how talented you are. And I'm not saying Gary Dolphin was right to criticize him. I think he handled it very well, the right way, apologized, and that should have been the end of it. Now, I'm not saying Dolph did nothing wrong. I want to make that clear. I'm not saying that he did nothing wrong. But why didn't this end with Dolph's apology? Why is this being made into something more? 
Iowa Athletic Director Gary Barta released the following statement in regards to the Dolphins suspension, quote, the two-game suspension is a result of those comments, as well as some ongoing tensions that have built up over the past couple of years. And now we've got a whole different ballgame. Is this really about the comments, or is there something going on between the athletic department and Iowa Hawkeye Learfield Sports Properties? What tensions are going on behind the scenes that Bart is referring to? Dolphin's never been the source of controversy before, but Barta has been the source of controversy many times. How many times has Iowa had to reach a settlement in court during Barta's tenure as athletic director? At what point does Iowa take a look at the skeletons in Gary Barta's closet and give him a suspension? How about two years ago, when assistant football coach Brian Ferentz, son of head coach Kirk Ferentz, who happens to be the highest paid employee in the state of Iowa, went on an explicit-filled rant in the press box during their win over Minnesota a couple of years ago. Criticized the officials, the Big Ten replay crew. It went public. And there were people a lot more outraged about it than they are right now about the whole Gary Dolphin situation. It led to a meeting with athletic director Gary Barta. As an assistant to his dad, the head football coach, Ferentz's direct supervisor is Barta. They had a closed-door meeting, resulted in no suspension. Just a slap on the wrist, just a warning. I hate to criticize the U of I, and I don't mean to, but there's hypocrisy there. There's Hawkeye hypocrisy. I'm not going to play the audio or read from Brian Ferentz's explicit rant from a couple of years ago. For one, I don't think I can on air. But is that really deemed less of a concern than Gary Dolphin criticizing how a player doesn't look where he's going, turns the ball over? I'm interested to see how this plays out, because there's a lot of people, Hawkeye fans included, that want Gary Barta gone. He's in his 15th year after taking over for Bob Bowlesby, who left for Stanford. There's a lot of people who don't want him there anymore. And Gary Dolphin is like the ultimate Hawkeye fan. The ultimate Hawk. He's the last living Iowa Hawkeye football and basketball broadcaster. And he's very well loved. You look on social media and there's all kinds of support for him. Not just from Hawkeye fans, from people all over the country who are picking this new story up. What's going on down in Iowa? One way or another, one of the Garys won't be here in the near future, whether it's Gary Barta or it's Gary Dolphin. Again, I'm not defending the comments that were made. I can see why people would be upset, but in reality, it could have been much, much worse. He apologized for it. He handled it the right way. I hate seeing a friend and mentor being dragged through the mud by national news. A few other stories making news before we go to break. United States men's basketball team... Looks to continue on its mission to qualify for the Olympics. They have a game on ESPN Plus this evening. You can check it out through the ESPN app. Van Gundy and the guys get set to take on Argentina. That comes up this evening. Meanwhile, the Utah Jazz continue on their quest to become serious contenders in the Western Conference. They pick up Kyle Korver, one of the top sharpshooters in the NBA, is leaving Cleveland. I'm sure he has no problem with that. Kyle Korver... Glad to get out of a team like Cleveland because they are really, really bad this year. Let's be honest about it. Cleveland coming in at 4-16. and 16. Utah's got talent. For whatever reason, they're below 500 at 10-12. But this is a team that can seriously be 
a contender in the Western Conference with a few more pieces. They're three games out of sixth place. Obviously, they miss a guy like Gordon Hayward big time. But Utah's got a ton of talent there. They've got to find their consistency, and they could be a force nobody wants to see in the Western Conference. And I love Kyle Korver, and I'm hoping this works out for him. He's been a journeyman. I want something to work out for him somewhere. And hopefully he finds a little consistency out there in Utah. About the Chicago Cubs, they pick up another infield piece and Ronald Torres. I thought the Yankees had a congested infield. They had to get rid of somebody. Torres has shown promise. And I thought he'd play somewhere. Just maybe not New York with the crowded infield they have. But the Chicago Cubs are maybe the last team that I expected to pick up another infield piece. You saw how crowded it got toward the end of last season. David Bodie, and after his heroics this summer, he wasn't going down to the minors. He wasn't going back down to Des Moines. They picked up Daniel Murphy, and they wondered who would be the odd man out. That turned into be Addison Russell as he dealt with personal issues. There was talk that Chris Bryant may even have to be moved to the outfield. So the Cubs are picking up another infielder, a utility guy, a guy that's not going to start for you every day, especially not in that lineup. But he'll come off the bench and contribute. Ronald Torres, now a Chicago Cub. And I don't question Joe Madden or Theo Epstein. I know better than that. Joe finds ways to get the most out of guys no matter what spot they're in. He can bring out the best and even the most average player, and that's what makes him such a special manager. When we come back, we'll take a look at Mel Kuyper's updated quarterback draft board. We may not have the cream of the crop class like we had last year, but we've got some great names in Mel Kuyper's top 10 for the NFL draft this season. Who's number one? We'll tell you when we come back on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP app. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP app. Don't forget, Pigskin Payday's back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize only to Jibboy Casino, Barriga, and Marquette. Tanner Hoops with you. Good to be with you on this Thursday afternoon as we wrap up another work day. Well, Mel Kuyper has released his latest quarterback big board for the NFL draft coming up only in April. We're only a few months away from it. We still have to crown a college champion. We'll crown a Super Bowl champion by then. Well, actually, I've crowned a college basketball champion by then, too. But nonetheless, let's take a look at Mel Kuyper's top 10 quarterbacks entering the NFL draft if it started today. We'll start at number 10 with Jared Stidham out of Auburn, a guy who's leading a Tiger team that's had a pretty disappointing season at 7-5 and five compared to where they were last year. That included a bull loss, by the way, to UCF. Maybe that's where things started sliding downhill. Stidham this season has completed 191 passes out of 319 attempts. He's been picked five times, but he's thrown for 11 touchdowns and 2,182 yards. Number nine on the list is Garner Minshew, the nation's leader in passing yards with 4,477. That's coupled with 36 touchdown passes tied for fourth most in D1 college football. Minshew, who at one point was talked about as an outside Heisman candidate, him and his mustache are catching the eyes of plenty of NFL scouts. Number eight on the list might come as a little bit of a surprise. K.J. Costello, quarterback at Stanford. He's completed 245 passes out of 367 attempts for 3,198 yards, including 28 touchdowns. Don't overlook him because of how disappointing Stanford has been this season. He's a pro-style quarterback that a lot of NFL scouts are going to be drooling over. 
Number seven on Mel Kuyper's list is Nathan Stanley out of Iowa, the junior. He's completed 241 passes and 366 attempts, 2,638 yards, 23 TDs compared to nine interceptions. Number six on Mel Kuyper's list is Ryan Finley out of North Carolina State. Finley gets overlooked quite a bit, maybe because of North Carolina State, maybe because Clemson always overshadows everybody else in the Atlantic Coast Conference. But Finley's put up really good numbers this season. 275 completions and 408 attempts, 3,380 yards, 21 TDs compared to 8 picks. He's been a guy that's been journeying all over, from Boise State to North Carolina State. He's put up good numbers everywhere he's gone. That's the bottom half of Mel Kuyper's top 10 quarterbacks big board for the NFL draft. Jared Stidham at number 10, Garner Minshew at number 9, KJ Costello, Nathan Stanley, and Ryan Finley comes in at number 6. How about the top 5 best available quarterbacks in this year's draft? We'll keep you in suspense a little longer. In case you missed it earlier in our show, Mike Golick and Trey Wingo, the host of Golick and Wingo, they're here on ESPN Radio from 6 to 10 Eastern Time every morning. They are hosting a really, really cool contest. You're going to want to enter. You make a 30-second video of yourself. It's got to be creative, got to be something eye-catching, something that shows why you deserve to go to the college football national title this year. It's a little over a month from now in Santa Clara, California, four days, three nights. You get a tailgate with ESPN, your food, lodging, airfare, all covered. They have got a great time planned for you. But you got to win first. You got to enter and win. They want to send you and a friend, three other people, and their three friends. So eight people total get to go to the college football championship game in Santa Clara, California. How you enter between now and Wednesday, you make your 30-second video, you follow Golik and Wingo on Twitter, you tweet them the video, and use the correct hashtag. All right, let's get back to the top 10 of Mel Kuyper's quarterback big board for the upcoming NFL draft. Number five on his list, Will Greer, the quarterback coming out of West Virginia, a guy who many thought could contend for the Heisman this season, and he still could, but at this point, they're just competing to see who's heading to New York to watch Tua Tungavailoa win it. As a senior, he's hitting on 67% of his passes, 266 for 397. He's thrown for 37 TDs compared to only 8 picks and 3,864 total yards. He's everything you want in a pro-style quarterback. i tell you who else an NFL team would love to have at quarterback, Kyler Murray. Even though he's making it pretty clear he's going to play baseball. Is he on Mel Kuyper's list? He's not at number four. Instead, that's Drew Locke of Missouri. Locke this season, 252 completions, 399 attempts, 3,125 yards, 25 TDs. Locke is putting up excellent numbers for a Missouri team that is understaffed. He doesn't have a great supporting cast around him, and they play in the SEC. But Locke is a pro-style quarterback, and he is going to make scouts drool once he gets to the combine. Number three on the list might be the biggest surprise. That's Daniel Jones, junior quarterback at Duke. I'll tell you this, he is the highest ranked ACC quarterback on Mel Kuyper's draft board. And the more I think about this one, the more I like it, the more I start to understand it. As a junior this season, he's completing on just 59% of his passes. That's actually down 4% from his sophomore year. But he's thrown 17 touchdowns compared to only 7 interceptions. He's made great strides there. 207 completions this year, 351 attempts. He's a guy I've seen play before. Gotta like what he's done because he can be an effective quarterback. Duke, not a football school. They're a basketball school. Always will be. 
But Daniel Jones is a crucial weapon for David Cutcliffe as he tries to cement a legacy and rebuild the Duke football program. Number two on the list is sophomore Ohio State quarterback Dwayne Haskins. 314 completions, 455 attempts for 4,081 yards. He has thrown 42 touchdowns. It has not been the year Ohio State's been envisioning, and still, there they are with a chance to get into the playoff. If Dwayne Haskins can do that, you'll wonder what that might mean for him as far as his draft capital. Haskins in the offense has had to make up for a really mediocre Ohio State Buckeye defense. And you saw what he did against Michigan on Saturday against a really good Michigan defense. That catches the eyes of NFL scouts, and it caught the eye of Mel Kuyper. And the number one quarterback on Mel Kuyper's latest quarterback big board is Justin Herbert, the junior at Oregon. 221 completions for 2,985 yards, completing 60% of his passes, 28 of them have gone for touchdowns compared to eight picks this season. Oregon started making a little bit of noise again this season. They started creeping back to the Oregon of a few years ago, the Marcus Mariota days, and Herbert's certainly the best quarterback they've had since him. But Herbert's a guy that flies under a lot of people's radar, but he might be the most pro-style quarterback of anybody that's available in this draft. He's got great size, too. It's six foot six, 233 pounds. There's a lot of teams who could do something with a guy like that. And it's caused a lot of people to think that Herbert could very well be the top quarterback taken in this year's NFL draft. That includes Mel Kuyper. So that's Kuyper's updated top 10 quarterback big board for this year's NFL draft. Jared Stidham out of Auburn comes in at number 10. Garner Minshew, ninth. P.J. Costello, eighth. Nate Stanley, Ryan Finley, Will Greer is number five. Drew Locke, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins, number two. And Justin Herbert tops the list. Well, more college football news developing this afternoon. It appears that Cliff Kingsbury's replacement at Texas Tech has been found. Matt Wells, the head coach at Utah State, in negotiations right now with Texas Tech to become the Red Raiders' new head football coach. It would be the first time since 1981 that a sitting head coach would come to Texas Tech, jumping from program to program since Jerry Moore did it back in 1981. How about your Northern Michigan Wildcats update? Men's and women's basketball on the road this evening. They are opening up conference play when they visit Midland, Michigan to take on Northwood. The women will tip off at 6 p.m. The men still undefeated. They get going at 8. Meanwhile, swimming and diving is in action today. A three-day event at the Calvin Invite. That's over in Grand Rapids. That gets going around 6 o'clock this evening. Men's hockey, of course, with the weekend off. They're coming off the overtime loss Tuesday at Notre Dame. Gives them 10 days to prepare for Michigan Tech, who is the last unbeaten team in the conference. Only in conference play. They're not unbeaten overall. They're the last unbeaten team in conference play. A heavyweight battle this evening in the NBA as Golden State takes on Toronto. That's an 8 p.m. tip-off from north of the border. You have two teams that are leading their respective conferences right now. Toronto's 18-4 on top in the east. Golden State at 15-7, tied with the L.A. Clippers atop the west. Let's turn to college sports. Tonight, we finally get it. We finally get the matchup we've all been wanting. Alabama takes on Central Florida. This evening, 7 o'clock, Alabama, Central Florida on ESPNU. Yeah, I mentioned it's men's basketball, not football. Alabama, UCF, that game can't be too far away in football, but basketball, 
you can bet there's going to be some fantastic signs that are going to be in the crowd tonight. Maybe a few homemade championship banners. That's a 7 o'clock tip-off tonight from Orlando, Alabama, UCF. A couple of teams that are both 5-1 and one in men's college basketball this season. Meanwhile, Thursday night football, NFL action. 8-20 kickoff as New Orleans visits Dallas. Now for me, this game is a whole lot more than four quarters for Dallas. This is a game that could decide the direction of the Cowboys franchise for the near future. The Cowboys are going up against what I believe and a lot of other people believe to be the most complete team in the NFL this season. The New Orleans Saints riding their 10-game winning streak into Dallas. The Cowboys seem to be one of those teams that wants to establish a run, ground and pound, and rely on good defense. They want that identity that the Vikings have, that the Jaguars had last year. Both those teams have struggled with those identities that carried them so far last season. They carried them to the final four in the NFL. Cowboys want to do that. They're out to prove that you can still do that in a league that's geared more and more toward the offense. Cowboys have one of the best, if not the best, running back in football with Ezekiel Elliott. I don't personally think he's the best in football, but he's top four. He's top four. Top three, depending if you want to throw in Le'Veon. But Ezekiel Elliott is a good enough running back for that to work. You have to have a good running back for that to work, to have a ground-and-pound game, a Mike Zimmer-style team, that kind of a game play. He's the one I believe does it better than anybody else in the NFL right now. Need a good running back to do it. Minnesota was able to do that with Dalvin Cook when he stays healthy. Jaguars able to do that with Leonard Fournette when he's not suspended and when he's healthy. But can the Cowboys do it with Ezekiel Elliott? I think Elliott's good enough, but the Cowboy offensive line isn't anymore. Tonight, the Cowboys are going to go up against a formidable foe who is going to either exploit or prove true the theory that you can still win with this ground-and-pound style, fresh defense kind of a game flow in the NFL, a league that's being geared more toward the offense all the time. If the Cowboys win, that's bad news for teams like the Chiefs and Rams, the teams that are buying into the high-octane scheme. But if the Saints win, does that mean that we can collapse the idea of strong running and good defense can win you ballgames? For me, this game means a whole lot more than four quarters. One Thursday night football game in week 13 of the 2018 season. This game could establish not only the Cowboys franchise for the near future, but it could establish a new order in the NFL. A new order in the NFL where pass-heavy, dominant offenses are going to rule. I'm not a fan of either team tonight, nothing against either team, but that's why I'm going to be invested in this Thursday night football game, to see what the direction of the NFL is going to be for the near future. All right, that's it for our hour. As always, I'm glad you stopped in and hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. We're back on tomorrow. Don't forget the return of our coaches show, our Friday coaches show, basketball style. We will have coaches from all over Marquette County on headset with us. That sandwiches the sports pen, 3 and 5 o'clock for the basketball tip-off show. We preview a lot of matchups coming up in the area. We'll have the sports pen at its usual time, 4 Eastern, 3 Central. All of it can be heard right here on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Signing off from the WZM Ishpeming Marquette Studios, I'm Tanner Hoops. We'll see you tomorrow.